What's the devil's greatest weapon against God's people? We'll find out as our study of revival in the Old Testament book of Ezra continues today on Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, inviting you to hop aboard the Bible bus for another great adventure in God's Word. If you're a new listener, I'm glad that you've joined our listening family that join us in more than 200 languages worldwide. And as you begin this journey, there are a few things that we think will be helpful for you to know. First, this is a five-year tour of the Bible, and it alternates between the Old and New Testaments, teaching from every book and every chapter. And today, we're in the Old Testament book of Ezra. But it really doesn't matter where you start. You just hop aboard, and in five short years, you'll make it through the whole Bible. And second, we provide free notes and outlines to help you get the most out of each lesson. To get a complete set of the notes and outlines, just download our digital book called Briefing the Bible. Or if you'd like to receive an abridged paperback copy by mail, you can request it at ttb.org forward slash briefing or call us this week at 1-800-65-BIBLE. Now, third, if you'd like to listen on the go, you can visit ttb.org forward slash listen to check out your many listening options. From apps to podcasts, station listings, and more, Dr. McGee's studies are available in a format that we think works for you. And finally, no matter how long you've been studying God's Word with us, we love to hear from you, our listeners. How did you find out about Through the Bible? Is there maybe a specific study or passage that's particularly meaningful to you? Your stories, like this one from a listener named Audrey, are such an encouragement to us. Good morning. My name is Audrey. I'm Cincinnati, Ohio, and I listen to Through the Bible every morning at 6.30 a.m. WCDX. I started listening to Through the Bible at 2005. Like others, I first turned it on. I didn't want to hear it. I turned it off. The next day I turned it on again. I didn't want to hear it then. The third day, I thought, well, let me see what he's saying. I haven't turned it off since. I have a good friend. I don't have a computer. So she called me on Saturday and Sunday to hear the question and answer in the Sunday sermons. I've been blessed every day. It's a blessing to wake up in the morning, listen to the Word of God. But Dr. McGee has a, had a way of talking to people. And this, you can feel like he's still here or he's sitting next to you talking to you. It's just a blessing, and God has blessed me to know his word. I thank you so much. Please keep up the good work, and wonderful blessings to you all. Thank you so much. Goodbye. And here are a few comments that have recently been posted on our Facebook page. First, Kevin in Tennessee posted this. Over the past several months, I've learned our Lord is loving, stern, forgiving, and holy. Dr. McGee has made the ride like a tour, as he points out the things of God and gives it a life-size picture. In each lesson book, he gives the meaning as God intended. And then Candace Ann wrote this, I lost a twin son and left the hospital with his surviving brother in 2014. My husband and I felt empty and lost. Dr. McGee has taught me so much that I never knew. I've learned to hang on to God when the times are hard, and truthfully, there are some really hard times. We went on to have another little boy in 2016. We hope they will grow up with this program. What a legacy, what a jewel. We are comforted to hear Dr. McGee talk about the little girl he and his wife lost. Thank you for this program. The Bible bus has been a lifeline to us. You're bridging the gap and teaching the word. Well, thank you, Candace Ann, Judith, and Kevin for sharing your stories with us. And it's a privilege to have you join us on the Bible bus each day. Now, how's God using his word in your life? You know, we'd love to hear from you. You can post a message on our Facebook page. You can email BibleBus at ttb.org or give us a call at 1-800-65-BIBLE. Now let's pray as we give this time to the Lord. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that comforts our souls and brings revival to our hearts. As we study today, please speak to us directly and guide us so that we can be a part of bringing revival to our families, communities, and countries. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's Dr. J. Vernon McGee as he takes us through Ezra 9 on Through the Bible. Now, friends, we actually come here in chapter 9 of Ezra to one of the great prayers in the Bible. In fact, these post-captivity books, and three of them go together, there are three great nine chapters. Here is Ezra 9, and we'll see it in Nehemiah 9, which we take up next. And then later on, when we come to the book of Daniel, which belongs to this group of books, Daniel 9, another great prayer. And so we have in this book here, or in this chapter, one of the great prayers of the Bible, the prayer of Ezra, and there was a basis for it. A very sad thing had taken place among these people. And we come now in our outline of the return from Babylon led by Ezra. We have here in chapters 9 and 10 the Reformation under Ezra. First, there was the return and actually revival. And I think we have here a real revival. But now let's see what the problem was among the people here. I'm reading now verse 1. Now when these things were done, the princes came to me saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations, even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Amorites, and the Electritlites. That is not there, however, the Electritlites. They came in with Edison. But the Egyptians are here. And so that these were the pagan peoples all around them, a great people, the Hittites. They found out about them after I was in school, and I've always been interested in reading about them through Asia Minor, especially along the coast, those great cities like Ephesus and Smyrna and Troy were all cities established first by the Hittites. Great people they were, but they were a pagan, heathen people. Now what had happened, these people had returned back to the land. And as we have seen, they came back, and the first thing they met was discouragement. We're going to pick this up in the prophecy of Haggai, how he led them to overcome all the hurdles of discouragement that were before them. And believe me, they ran a whole long line of hurdles. And through Haggai, they were unable to clear them. And through Nehemiah, the active layman, and as a result, why the walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt and the temple was rebuilt. All of that took place. But they met discouragement, and in their discouragement, why, that's the time that you let down. That happens to many Christians today. Someone has said, you know, that discouragement is the devil's greatest weapon. I don't know that that's true, but I'm of the opinion that it is. And so what had happened, these people letting down 
why these people on the fringe of the nation, all the walls of separation were broken down. And as a result, why we find that in a marriage took place. And I think sometime that they didn't even take the trouble of getting married because these heathen and pagan didn't pay too much attention to that any more than the heathen and pagan in our contemporary society today pay no attention to it. And yet, we are told today that this is an advance. This is a new freedom. We are a civilized people. My friends, these pagan peoples in the past, that's what they did. Now, will you notice? Verse 2, For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and rulers hath been chief in this trespass. And the leadership among the people of Israel, they were the ones that were guilty. And of course, before God, they were more guilty because privilege always increases responsibility. Now, this was the condition that they were in. Now, of course, I'm sure that Ezra could have gone on the radio and have run a program on patriotism and run up the Israeli flag of David and had great rallies on patriotism. But that's not what he did. He could have done that. Or he might have delivered a withering blow against it by making speeches against it, speaking out against it, and doing nothing else. Or he might have done something else. He might have formed an organization and have got involved in trying to recover these couples that had gone into this. That, my friend, is the way we do it today, but they didn't do it that way in that day. Of course, this poor fellow in that day, Ezra, he just didn't know about our modern ways of doing this. And so I want you to notice what he did. And it's something that certainly we don't see much of in our day. Will you notice it? Verse 3, And when I heard this thing, I rent my garment and my mantle. I plucked off the hair of my head and of my beard and sat down astonished. Now, you see, Ezra had just recently returned. Actually, he did not get back until 75 years after the first delegation came. They had been in captivity 70 years, and during this interval, after Zerubbabel came back with 50,000 or thereabouts, why, Ezra returned with about 2,000 75 years later. Now, he found the temple rebuilt, but not the walls of the city. And the population was in a sad, sordid, and squalid condition. They had intermingled with the heathen. Immorality and idolatry was running rampant. They had intermarried. There was a lack of separation. And they were a miserable and bedraggled lot. And this man Ezra, when this is called to his attention, and he discovers that it is accurate, He's absolutely overwhelmed and chagrined that God's people would have dropped down to this low level. I wonder how many today talk about the apostasy of the church. At least I do. But I wonder if we're as exercised about this today as we should be. 
I find now that I have retired. I'm on the outside, as it were, and I look at the condition of the church today, and I must confess that I would like to wash my hands of the affair and say, well, look, this is no affair of mine, but it is an affair of mine. And friends, it's so easy for you and me to point our finger to somebody else. But notice what this man did, and this is important for us to see. First of all, this man is overwhelmed by it, and he goes into sackcloth and ashes. He doesn't begin a tirade against them or this sort of thing. That would have been a characteristic of many, I'm sure, today. But he didn't do that, and we need to note that he didn't do that at all. Now, will you notice the next step that he took was this. Then were assembled unto me everyone that trembled at the words of the God of Israel. And I love that. We've had that before. Uh, those that trembled at the word of God. It's a wonderful thing. Trembled at the word of the God of Israel. Now, let me pause there for just a moment. How many really today take the Word of God seriously. I think I know the fundamental church fairly well. And there's so many wonderful fundamentalists today. And they are the choicest people. They're my crowd. I love them. But there are many today that profess to have a love for the Word of God. And they've got notebooks to prove it. And their Bible is marked up. But the interesting thing, their own lives are marked up and also fouled up. And they're doing nothing about it. The Word of God, oh, they say, yes, we believe it, but it's having no effect upon their lives whatsoever. They don't tremble at it. It's so easy today for us to go off on this kick that the world's gone on, even the outside. God is love. It's just wonderful, you know. God is love. Yes, he is love. Thank God for that. But he's more than that. Our God is a holy God. He will punish sin. And that's the thing that troubled this man here. Now notice what he does here. He trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the transgression of those that had been carried away and listened to him. And I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. This man is absolutely overwhelmed by this. Does this concern us? Really today, how much are we involved? How much really do we believe the Word of God? And my Christian friend, it would pay you and me both to go off to the side and ask ourselves the question, if nobody witnessing to it except God, how much do we really believe it? How much do we obey it? The Lord Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, if we don't love him, I think he'd say, forget it. It's meaningless to you. This thing has to mean something to you. Now, verse 5, and at the evening sacrifice, he says, I rose up from my heaviness, and having rent my garment, my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God. You know, lifting holy hands to God. What does it mean to spread out your hand? It means you're not concealing anything. It means when you go to God in prayer, friends, that your mind and your soul stands naked before him. You talk about whether you're going to have a body or not. My friend, you don't have when you go to God in prayer. Holy hands, the hands were outspread. 
He's holding back nothing from God at all. And we need to remember that in our prayer life. Now listen to him. He says, And I said, Oh my God, I'm ashamed. And I blush to lift up my face to thee, my God. Now listen to him. He doesn't say, For their iniquities are increased over their head, and their trespasses is grown up under the heavens. Listen to him. For our iniquities are increased over our head, and our trespasses grown up to the heavens. Now, today it's easy to divorce yourself from the church. Church is in a bad state. I grant that. But, my friend, it's not their sin, it's our sin. And we need to identify ourselves with that. Is the church today in apostasy? Then we are in apostasy, my friend. It's not my sister, nor my brother, but it's me, O Lord, that stands in the need of prayer. Now listen to this man, Ezra. This is a great prayer. Since the days of our fathers have we been in a great trespass unto this day. And for our iniquities have we, our kings, our priests, been delivered into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to a spoil, and to confusion of face as it is this day. Now, this man knew what it was to be a captive in a foreign land. Ezra apparently had either been born out there or been taken as a little boy. And he knew what it was, and he trembled when he recognized that God would judge us. My friend, there are many today being judged of God. I could give instance after instance. A man came to me eating up a venereal disease several years ago. He said, I thought I got by with it. I was a Christian, and I thought I got by with it. And he said, now I'm going to have to die of this dirty, filthy disease. And he did. And somebody says, oh, God should have extended mercy to him. Yes, God would have extended mercy to him. But the interesting thing is why this man was guilty and our God is a holy God and he judges. Too bad that more of us don't tremble at the word of God. Now, listen to verse 8. It's one of the great verses of the Bible. And now for a little space, grace hath been showed from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a nail in his holy place that our God may lighten our eyes, give us a little reviving in our bondage. Now, this is a great verse. He says, we've had just a little grace given to us, just a little space of the grace of God. And the 70 years captivity is over. He's permitted them to return. And the minute they return, here they go off again following the heathen the very thing that sent them into captivity. Now, he says, it's just a remnant of us. These people obeyed enough to come back into the land. Most of them had not come back, but these people had come back. And they're just a remnant, always been just a remnant of those people. And there's just a remnant today, very candidly. And then he speaks here to give us a nail in his holy place. And you know what that nail is? That nail is Christ, by the way. My anchor holds within the veil. You know why? Because I got a nail. I'm nailed there. He's nailed on the cross down here that I might be nailed yonder at the throne of God for eternity. Listen to this. Over in Isaiah, the 22nd chapter, verse 22. 
and the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. We're talking about Christ now. So he shall open and none shall shut. He shall shut and none shall open. And I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place. And he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house. And so we're nailed up there, not on a cross, but nailed in heaven for eternity. You see, a nail fixed in a sure place. What a wonderful thing this is. They didn't lose their salvation, but they sure did lose a great deal else. The blessing of God and a reward. And how many today are saved, but they'll get no reward at all. A nail in a sure place that our God may lighten our eyes, give us a little reviving in our bondage. Now, a little revival in our bondage. And I think what you have here is the true picture of revival. The term revival is not actually a Bible word. It's just simply not used, except in a place like this. And the principle is there, but not in the popular meaning of the term. I've always used the word revival from the pulpit in a popular sense. That is a spiritual upsurge, sinners converted in mass, new interest in the things of the Spirit. But the technical term, it means to recover life or vigor, return to consciousness. And it refers to that which has life, and it ebbs down even almost to death, and there's no vitality, and then it's revived. And in fact, the resurrection of Christ in Romans 14:9 is called, he was revived. Now, obviously, it must be confined to believers if we're going to be technical. It means that the believers were in a low spiritual condition and they're brought back to vitality and power. And so here you have real revival that's going to take place. Now we find here, he goes on in his prayer, says, We were bondmen, yet our God hath not forsaken us in our bondage. And how wonderful God was to them, you see. They confess their sin and God is going to bless them. We were bondmen, yet our God hath not forsaken us in our bondage. He's extended mercy unto us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us a reviving, to set up the house of our God and to repair the desolations thereof and to give us a wall in Judah and in Jerusalem. And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we've forsaken thy commandments, which thou hast commanded by thy servants the prophets, saying, The land into which we go to possess it is an unclean land, with the filthiness of the people of the lands, with their abominations which have filled it from one end to another, with their uncleanness. Now therefore give not your daughters unto their sons, neither take their daughters unto your sons, nor seek their peace or their wealth forever, that ye may be strong and eat the good of the land, and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever." And after all that is come upon us for our evil deeds, for our great trespass, seeing that thou, our God, hast punished us less than our iniquities deserve, and has given us such a deliverance as this. In other words, Ezra says, we didn't get all that is coming to us. Now he said, should we again break thy commandments and join in affinity with the people of these abominations? Wouldst not thou be angry with us till thou hadst consumed us so there should be no remnant nor escaping? Now listen to him. O Lord God of Israel, thou art righteous. 
for we remain yet escaped as it is this day. Behold, we are before thee in our trespasses, for we cannot stand before thee because of this. This is something that only thy mercy, only a confession of sin, only the sacrifice of Christ could make it possible for God to save them and God to restore them and God to revive them. Now, God's going to do all of these because of the prayer of this man and the remnant that were there that cried out to God for mercy. And when we take that position, God is ready to hear. Now we're going to see that that was restored next time, and we'll conclude this book. Until then, may God richly bless you, my beloved. Thanks for coming aboard today on the Bible Bus. If we can help you find a resource by Dr. McGee to take you deeper into your own study of God's Word, you can contact us at 1-800-65-BIBLE. we got more great teaching in God's Word next time as Dr. McGee concludes our study of Ezra. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll be here saving a seat on the Bible Bus just for you. Today's study with Dr. J. Vernon McGee is brought to you by Through the Bible, and it's made possible by the generous prayer and financial investments from listeners like you on the Bible bus all around the world.